in three, two, one. I don't say Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Thursday, November 12th, and this is issue number 32. Hello, Dave. Hello, Joanna. We are going to kick off. We've got a very special sort of spy-themed segment for this episode that I'm really excited for. Um, I'm wearing, like, my blackest turtleneck and I am ready for some espionage. But uh, before we get there, we've got a little bit of, of comic book TV news that we want to talk about and, and an email that we want to address. Uh, so we're going to kick off with this email from Adam from Minneapolis. Uh, and he says, hey, Dave and Joanna, just wondering where the best place to get comic news is. I've been on the weekly grind of getting new comics. I want to keep up with good runs of different creators are doing, both superhero and non, some comic-related movies. TV news would be good, too. Any good one-stop website. Uh, Dave, I think you and I agreed on, on this one. We did. Comicbookresources.com. Mm-hmm. It has uh, little vertical tabs that divides the things that uh, – Adam called out, and then also has just a stream of all the news, uh, including some uh, specialty uh, access things, because they've been around for so long, uh, like uh, Marvel-specific or DC-specific interviews with creators. But uh, also, yeah, previews, everything you would need if you're actually engaging with the comic book side. And, uh, you know, they're more specialty sites if you have, like, you know, just the movies or just the TV shows. But if you want to catch all... One stop. That's where I would go. All right. So that's comicbookresources.com. You can find them on Twitter at CBR. Um, I recommend following them. They're they're very great. Well, but you uh, follow them and then maybe unfollow them if, if they're giving you too much information. And then go to their website and use those curated tabs like Dave mentioned uh, to make sure you're getting specifically what you want from them. But uh, yeah, it's a great place. Great, great place. All right. Speaking of which, they uh, they have good, good comic book TV coverage, and and I think we want to start on a positive note with one of I thought one of the greatest comic book TV episodes on TV in a long time. Mm, that would be episodes. No, uh, you think the whole episode is worthy. Uh, Twenty of minutes. Of <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> that would be this week's Flash, which was I believe was called Enter Zoom. Um, and, uh, Zoom did, did indeed enter and, and Dave is referring to the fact that the episode was maybe not fantastic for the first 40 minutes until Zoom, or maybe what is it? 45 minutes until Zoom did in fact enter. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about this episode a little bit in depth. It, you might want to skip ahead if you haven't watched this week or if you're behind on your flash or whatever, you can skip ahead, but this is where we're going to talk about flash and Zoom. 
Dave, I texted you as soon as this episode was over because I was so excited. So that's just how good it was. Yeah, and you also texted me, unbeknownst to you, like three minutes after I just texted my friend Julian, like, holy shit, Flash. And he was like, not yet. (laughs) So I had to wait. But luckily, you caught the brunt of it. So later, when I did talk to Julian, it seemed like I had better formed opinions. I texted my two, uh, like, comic book TV watching friends. And I was like, "Have you? Wa- I, you know, I knew you would probably be on top of it, but I, I didn't want to say, holy shit, zoomed them. So I, I texted, have you watched Flash yet? Uh, text me as soon as you watch Flash. Like, Im- like immediately as soon as you're done, <laughs> I want to talk about this. And yeah, it was like a day and then like two days later and it, I was calmer then. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Zoom is the the big bad of season two uh, that's been, you know, promised. The, the villain we were promised. And uh, unlike most big bads on most television shows these days, uh, since the good old Buffy the Vampire Slayer days, uh, this villain delivered in a big way. He's scary. They set up – he looks great. They set up the threat immediately where he's like – he's got our hero like a little rag doll in his hand and running all around the city with him like – those that's how you establish the stakes of a villain right off the bat. The challenge will be how it is Barry doesn't die, uh, you know, next week. Like uh, how Barry stays alive this much longer after Zoom was able to crush him so handily. Um, well, he's in the Wells wheelchair now. Oh, right. Uh, according to the previews, um, you know, Barry is in the in the Wells role. Um so yeah, I mean, I guess Zoom is like, oh, I'll let him <laughs> be for now, I guess. I don't know. Um, and what was I going to say about Zoom? Uh, oh, oh, oh. And for, for the first time since, you know, this is my biggest beef that I've talked about on this podcast with comic book villains, which is that I hate when they have all that shit on their face and I can't tell who the person is underneath and I find it really hard for someone to be an effective villain uh, without a lot of humanity, like I think Wilson Fisk and Loki are two of the most effective villains that we've seen in recent comic book film and television. That's because they're very human villains. Um, you know, Loki's a god slash whatever he is, but um, I don't mean human human. I mean have humanity relatable qualities. And so when you've got like a whole bunch of latex on your face, it's really hard to get there. And 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 Zoom is not human. He's just awesome uh dave now that i've rambled what do you want to say about zoom Uh, i want to give some props to the whoever came up with that production plan because flash has been living in like this kind of goofy silver agey feel you know he's got we had a giant shark man for a little bit that was killed by a blue laser gun in our last surprise flash ending and, uh, you know, the whole episode leading up to it was sort of light with some play acting from Dr. Light. Oh, I made a pun without actually intending it. I hate that was, it when that happens. That's awful. I know. <laughs> I mean, if I intend it, it's entirely different. But then to suddenly switch hard and dedicate so much of the production budget to lightning throwing and terminal velocity, like within five minutes of each other, which are two great set, like flash set pieces. Uh, that they, you know, managed to unleash here. <clears throat> and then to have uh, your villain, like, go to your three biggest sets in front of all your regular characters and just sort of brandish the, the limp body and be untouchable. 
um, was uh, pretty sweet. It does set the stakes uh, really high. Maybe so high that I'm now questioning why Zoom is sending other people after Flash in the first place. Um, but I'm assuming that'll be, you know, somewhat, that concern will be alleviated once we know who Zoom is, but I'm not necessarily in any hurry for that to happen because he's pretty cool as this other, the Candyman voiced, uh, shadow being. So yeah, Tony Todd is voicing this, this thing and that's a huge help. It's not just that, um, you know, would be so distracted trying to figure out whose voice. I mean, we're already, we already spent a lot of time trying to talk about who is Zoom and we will talk about that. But, you know, the fact that they opted for Tony Todd's voice rather than disguising the actor's voice, because we can all, we've all seen a movie. So we know that we probably have seen the person under the Zoom mask before. Um, That narrows it down considerably, especially given his physique. But, um, or his Earth One counterpart before. That's what that's what I meant. Sorry the 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 face behind the mask on an Earth One person. Yes. Um, yeah. So do we want to talk about that now? Who we think who we think Zoom is? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything spoilery about it because none of us just, have any information yeah, beyond what, what was there. But uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Barry Earth Two Barry's dad. Henry Allen, Earth 2. That's That's got my vote. Yeah, so that's John Wesley Shipp, who played the original Flash. and Unceremoniously uh, exited this season for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, I was, so I was discussing this with my, with my good friend Taylor. Like, wouldn't you want to keep John Wesley Shipp around and actually develop the relationship more between Henry and Barry so that it's even more devastating when it turns out that it's, you know, his face under Zoom's mask? Um, but I, I've got a couple ideas about that. Number one, uh, maybe on the one hand, maybe the, the writers didn't want us to have that basis of comparison, like in the same frame of the episode to be like, Oh, well, it's clearly John Wesley's ship. <laughs> like, I mean, there he is in one scene without his mask on. I mean, it's the internet. We can do that for ourselves at home, but maybe not having the actor around makes it easier to forget what he looks like, you know? Right. And really, you can't see much of Zoom. All you see are his, his little eyeballs. Um, he's got the Batman black around his eyes anyway. Um, and then uh, the um, the other option is if Zoom passes himself off as Henry Allen in a future episode or, or a few, you know, to say like, hey, son, I've come back. And then actually it was Zoom all along. Yeah. I mean, really all I'm going, I'm not even playing by comic book rules in my head anymore. I'm playing by fringe uh, season two and three rules, which is that (laughs) you could have so much fun showing us two versions of the same character. So I I would assume that if it is Henry Allen Earth 2, Henry Allen Earth 1 needed to boot just so he wouldn't be on the tip of our mind. And we'd be like, well, maybe it's you know, Wells somehow, or maybe it's Eobard Thawne or some some such thing. But I think that having it be some way it's personally connected to Barry will also allow for at least one episode where we think it's Earth 2 Barry, which will be dramatically, you know, rife. I don't think it will be, but, you know, I think we're going to have as much as fun as we had trying to guess who the reverse Flash was. We're going to do it again with Zoom. But this time, uh, like, they started off 
Yeah, but I think like with Reverse Flash, I mean, as soon as Harrison Wells got out of that chair, which was episode one, right? Like it was pretty pretty for certain that he was the bad guy. Right. Um, To the extent that it wasn't a huge deal outside of the characters occasionally being like, well, maybe it's blank. And we are like, no, it's not. I think they could use that. Yeah. To be like, maybe it's Earth 2 Barry. And we're like, no, it's not. We're like, like, all the characters. We're like, Greg Gustin is 110 pounds dripping wet. Like, you know. (laughs) Well, then maybe they'll body double him. (laughs) With all that Um, extra budget from doing the Zoom episode followed by a Grodd episode. This this thing's got to be burning through money. Um, But uh, the other options, right? I mean, I guess we should at least run through them. Our Joe is an option. Um, I talked to Jesse L. Martin a little while ago and I asked him if, you know, he said Earth One Joe is never going to have powers. That's a promise that the writers made to him. Um, but that, and then I asked about Earth Two Joe and he said, yeah, it'd be pretty cool if Earth Two Joe had some powers. I think he's talked elsewhere about Earth Two Joe being like a really smart scientist or something like how he likes the idea of playing something completely different. Uh, you know, given the option. Fringe style. Right. So, I mean, I think, and then another option, something that uh, a friend of mine brought up was maybe it's Eddie, um, you know, that that would be upsetting too. I mean, whatever it is, we want sort of the maximum dramatic impact uh, when they rip that cowl off of his face. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I, but I really think that John Wesley ship is, is the best. And there's, there's a gift floating around of John Wesley ship in his old flash uniform and, and, uh, zoom's face that Dave sent me that just makes the case pretty, pretty open and shut. I think so. It would be fun. And it would be fun if they got him involved, uh, when they bring back Mark Hamill as trickster again, just like father's man and people reprising the, yeah, let's do it. I want to do it so bad. Flash is <laughs> Flash and Fathers. Like it, it, just the fact that it's well. Been now able we've to got Harry. Now we've got Wells as a father. Uh, Harry, right? As a father, he was like a father figure. Harrison Wells, the father figure. Earth two Harry, as Cisco calls him. Uh, you know, we've got this whole drama around Jesse Quick and all of that. So right, but I guess we're as like we could use this as a pivot point. Uh, Flash has been really successful adding more fathers, whereas Arrow has been le- less successful adding more family for Ollie to deal with. Because oh, that show very early on was like, family's important to these characters. That's what makes him not a Batman. And then uh, they kind of, you know, ended up spinning off and ha- having to hold down the rest of this universe. And now it's like, this week's Arrow's episode was weird Felicity things that sort of like brought her back to where she was last season in terms of being inscrutable and teary while also do- like donating the other half of its time to setting up uh, Legends of Tomorrow again. It seems well, and, weird. And, and this is a, you know, this is something that I was talking about earlier this week with someone is that um, the Flash and Arrow are burdened <laughs> with a lot of Legends of Tomorrow setup. Because if you want to run down the list, right, we've got Dr. Martin Stein, Victor Garber, uh, who had a setup, you know, with Firestorm. We've got um, Adam, 
over on Arrow. We've got Sarah Lance over on Arrow. Hot Girl is now the barista on The Flash. Um, who, who am I missing? There's more. Oh, you know, well, Captain Cold, but he's just been doing his thing. But, you know, it just feels like everything, half, at least half of the series, more so on, I think, on Arrow, are are working, pushing towards Legends of Tomorrow. Like, we've got all this Sarah Lance stuff, and maybe... Yeah, maybe years from now someone's going to be watching this on Netflix and not know and not care. You know, it's just like me rewatching Buffy, not knowing that Angel and Cordelia are going to spin off. So it's not like ever present in my mind. But like it's hard for me to watch this whole Sarah plot because I'm just like you're just grinding through this so you can push this character that you killed off, bring her back and then push her on over to this other series. So when she leaves in this episode and says, I'm going to Central City, I'm like, well, yeah, you got to. Welcome to the early (laughs) 90s in Marvel and DC comic books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this is a very comic book thing to do. It just, from a TV storytelling or TV viewing point of view, you know, it's it's frustrating. Well, it makes you look for different things. Like, on our other podcast that talks about Game of Thrones, I'm always like, what's the theme of this episode? But I'm never going to say that about any of these, like, superhero shows because they're not set up necessarily to be that. They're just uh, they're in a different a different groove, but like I don't know, like enter Zoom. Sometimes that groove can redeem itself by being really good for twelve minutes uh, after you know, sort of fumbling around for the rest. But I don't know. We're coming up on the big crossover, which is when Hawk Girl gets revealed. So uh, that's going to be interesting because already the stills they've been releasing from that is like that's too many superheroes. But we'll, uh, we'll see. Legends of Yesterday. Is that what it's called? It's the episode's called. Yeah. Oh, I was good. Otherwise, that was really clever. <laughs> Someone was really clever about being how how bald a, a launch for this series it is. But that being <laughs> said, like Agents of Shield has spent half half seasons building up to stupider things, so I'm I'm still on board with both Flash and Arrow. I just. It's interesting to watch one navigate having to launch two shows so differently than the other. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we had a little bit of it with Flash. Like, you know, it was, there was backdoor piloting and crossovering to make sure that Flash was rooted is sort of in the Arrow universe. It's just, I think it's what they're doing with it is less intrusive on Flash because Flash is just such a stronger show right now than Arrow is, which I know is like you spent a whole year trying to convince me of that last year and I'm now on board with you fully. Um, but I think Arrow is stronger than it was last year. Um, but, yeah, but Flash is still better. They're so. pivoting to like the green Arrow and like a not depressed Ollie has been paying dividends. Um, but, uh, but I will then, say I'm really bored by Diggle just shooting everyone. Like they need to get it. Like Cisco needs to make him a fancy gun or something. Oh no! See, I like that. I like that he's just—he's the one. He's that's just out there. murdering just, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> it's—it makes it really funny when, like, uh, you know, Sarah's like beating the crap out of a guard, and no one tries to stop her. They're just all like, hey, "Sarah, Sarah!" Everybody gets a turn to say her name really loud. And I'm like, if this is how you handle conflict, it makes complete sense that you just let one guy be the guy that just faces people with a revolver. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, it's really bad when Sarah breaks some guy's neck, but Diggle's allowed to shoot everyone he sees in the face. It's yep, it's, it's pretty sweet. That's what you get for being <laughs> ex-military. Guess so. Um, Shield, I thought, was was uh, real, real not good this week. 
Um, it's like they don't know. Uh, they're not individual enough to be anything anymore. Yeah. You know, like the Inhumans aren't X-Men enough for me to feel like I'm on an X-Men chase and it's not spy enough to make me feel like I'm having like alias with superpowers. I don't even know what S.H.I.E.L.D. shooting for anymore. I think they think we care more about the characters than we do. And there are certain characters I care about, but I don't care enough about all of them that like their personal drama, like May's personal drama should have been more affecting to me. Bobby and um, what's his face's personal drama should be more affecting to me. The only thing that got me was the, like the, the scene with Fitz and Simmons, like looking at the sunset that actually kind of got me because Fitz gets me every time. But well, because um, we've seen that relationship, the other two yeah. relationships you've talked about, we've just been told that they're really good. And some yeah. of them are really close to spinning off to their own show, but exactly <laughs> like we don't we don't have any evidence for that. And the like the nice thing about committing to the the Simmons episode was that now I do care slightly more about Fitz and Simmons. And like Lash being a cool looking character isn't saving isn't saving it anymore. Nope. Uh, bow. Also, uh, a way to echo Buffy without any of the soul of Buffy. Like my 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 husband's a monster yeah. chain up monologue. Yep. Um they there's so many just hard, hard buffy echoes on that show. Um what well, it's Powers Booth, right? It's the name of the actor who's joined as like this shadowy figure who's working with, with um with Ward. Um and I feel like Constance Zimmer is like being set up to look evil and she's not going to be evil. Um, is my feeling on the subject. Sure. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was a weird week to see Flash lower somebody with the like his tornado arms and then learn that Daisy has the same power and that it looks stupider because it's shields. God damn it. <laughs> it does look stupider. Um... <laughs> Nobody caught a lightning bolt and flung it back at someone on S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. More's the pity. Um, All right. Just one more TV show, which is Supergirl. Um, Charlie Jane Andrews wrote this great piece over, as she tends to do, over on io9 uh, called Supergirl has a Superman-sized problem at its center. And I completely agree. This this week made it really, really evident. Um, Because it would be one thing if they just, like, mentioned Superman occasionally, but he, like, actually showed up this week. And it was awful because they can't show him. So he was just this like CGI thing, blurry as as Kara's like losing consciousness. And then he IM'd her at the end of the I mean, it's just it's awful. It's really awful how how they're making him part of the plot without being able to use him. If you can't use him, don't make him part of the plot, you know? Is it's, my- it's the same problem with Superman. He's a garbage character. He forces everybody around him to be garbage because you can't you can't use him. If he is what he is, then he should just solve every problem. It's it's a horrible thing for fiction. I wish he existed, but like I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Superman is a garbage character. Maybe you've said it on this podcast before and I just wasn't paying enough attention. I've, I've, pretty great. My major <laughs> response to Man of Steel was Superman is a garbage character. How dare I like fall for a Zack Snyder trailer again? Batman. So, you know, Batman versus Superman is going to be fine. But if it's bad, it's entirely because Superman's a garbage character. 
And you're like, I don't understand why Superman, if he's supposed to be all good, has his own personal military that attacks Batman. I'm like, yeah, you know, it doesn't make any sense because he's a garbage character. You can't, he's, <laughs> you go, if if you're all powerful, then like any weakness you have to have is con- super contrived. Pun intended that time. Nice. Super contrived. contrived. The S is for super contrived. Um, all right. So that that is some comic book television. We have a little bit of comic book movie news that we're going to tuck behind this next section because, you know, I'm... We, it's been a while since we've rung a spoiler gong. Spoilers so at the end. Yeah, we're going to do a spoiler at the end, just like our intro promises. Uh, so this this section is something that I talked about on Twitter, but coincidentally or not, we got an email from Dave Healy from Connecticut. Um, and he wrote, hey, Dave and Joanna, I hope this digital missive finds you well. Having just watched Spectre, I couldn't help but think 007 is equal parts Batman, Superman, Green Arrow, and a little Iron Man, if not Tony Stark or Bruce Wayne, if that's your cup of vodka. Does James Bond qualify as a superhero? What are the criteria? Awesome car? Check. Daddy issues? Check. Seemingly indestructible? Check. Unlimited resources? Check. Gadgets and girls galore? Oh yeah, double check. Have you ever thought of James Bond as a superhero? He is a creature of the Cold War and dates back to the 50s, which is nearly Golden Age comics, but not quite. Maybe he is a little Silver Age Hal Jordan, or any age Hal Jordan for that matter. Your thoughts? I'd love to hear what you think of this subject, and or if either of you have seen Spectre yet, or perhaps checked out the comic. So having listened to Dave Gonzalez talk about Bond last week on the Fighting in the War Room podcast, Mothership podcast, but then not appear on the main review podcast of Spectre. Um, <laughs> do you remember the name of the episode? It was like, uh, is Bond a franchise or something else oh, or an anthology or anthology yeah or something so you else guys entirely. you guys talked about the nature of the of the bond franchise over on finding the war room and then uh, dave's voice was absent from the review episode that kind of bummed me out so i was like okay well let's do a bond section on on thought bubble and i'm reading this comic velvet which is got hardcore ties to bond there's a new bond comic that i can read and, and we can talk all about that but but then i found out after i decided that uh but but it didn't stop me from doing this. That that Dave, you still haven't seen Spectre, is that correct? Nope, I'll I'll get around to it. But okay. I mean, like, so, I, so Dave, Dave, who has seen so many more Bond movies than I have, has not all seen the, Spectre. all the other Bond movies. Has not seen Spectre. Yes, the, this one uh, is slightly too long, and you know, not all Bond movies are theatrical experiences anymore. As I learned with Die Another Day. That's crazy. This is definitely a theatrical experience. The the opening sequence is quite dazzling. So, well, maybe maybe I'll get in there, but then again, I got one more week to see Room before it leaves my my area. So, we'll Okay, well, that's, lot, the that's the priority. That's the priority. But, but anyway, I did look up the uh the old leaked screenplay now that I could talk about oh. it uh from the good old Sony hack and it sounds like a lot of that stayed stayed intact. All right, so we got Spectre, which is maybe Bond's last, maybe Daniel Craig's last Bond, um, definitely Sam Mendes' last Bond. Maybe Sony's last Bond. Maybe Sony's last Bond. Um, And what's going on with Bond right now? Bond uh, was just launched into a new comic by Warren Ellis, uh, and I picked up the first issue. It's called Varger, I believe. V-A-R-G-R. And um, I was just thinking about 
Bond is this huge property, and since we know that Sony, <laughs> as well as everyone else in the world, is interested in spinning known quantities, known hits off into new franchises, new whatever, uh, what are we going to see in the future of Bond? Are we going to keep seeing a Bond movie every couple of years with a new director, a new actor, that sort of thing? Or are we going to see... You know, we've got the comic book. Are we going to see um, your friend Meryl Barr? Our friend Meryl Barr on Twitter was wondering if we we're going to see James Bond television. Um, you know, like just how ambitious is whoever's going to take control of this franchise, be it Sony or whoever else? Just how ambitious are they going to get? There has been, I you know, way more about the the background dealings than I do, but I know that the the Broccoli family, which is in control of the Bond uh, intellectual property um, exhibits some sort of restraint. I don't know how much control they ever think, but Sam Mendes on the Empire podcast gave, I believe it's Barbara Broccoli, I believe who's Mm -hmm. in charge right now, gave her credit for restraint in terms of only doing Bond films, not doing Bond spinoffs. That being said, I don't know how long that will be the case. And I was saying that if we were to get a spinoff, I would like to see a money penny spinoff starring Naomi Harris. Cause I think she's, <laughs> she was great for, <laughs> I mean, predictably I want, you know, the female led spinoff, but like, they're never going to make bond a woman. We might get an Idris Elba bond, but we're not going to get a woman. I, but I bet you the next bond is going to be a white dude, honestly. So if we get a money penny spinoff, like that would be interesting to me, specifically starring Naomi Harris. And, um, she was so great for the bit of Skyfall where she actually got to do something and she got to do significantly less inspector. And, and I, I would like to see that. And the comic book, uh, Velvet by Ed Brubaker, uh, is basically, without being in the Bond universe, is basically a Monty Penny spinoff. Um, and Dave read the first uh, trade paperback. I've read the first two. So should we talk about Velvet, Dave? Yeah, I want to talk about that and Varger. Varger. <laughs> uh, just because I, I picked it up. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it's definitely my the digital copy is in my comicsology. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm ready to pick that up. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure how much I would be in for a Monty Penny spinoff specifically because stuff like Velvet is so much fun. It's like you don't need to have that be set in whatever a canonical James Bond universe is. For me, James Bond is a, a series of tropes and a situation and it's much more like, you know, Ryan Murphy would have you believe American Horror Story is supposed to be, where it's just a general idea of what makes a James Bond movie, and you kind of feel it, and you or you don't. Um, <clears throat> I think the more we get, you know, spun up in, like, who's Monty Penny and who's M and which spinoff universe happens or whatnot, I, I think the better. I think just James Bond-centric little spy thrillers anthology eyes would be how it'd go which is why i'm so interested in the comic and why i think velvet works is because velvet's uh basically about the like an older monty penny she's a secretary for the head of this super secret spy agency uh gets uh framed for the murder of one of their agents and in investigating it uh sort of we get flashbacks to her previous career when it turns out she was also an agent so she's not like the secretary everybody takes her to be 
And I think they underestimated her. Yeah. That was their first mistake. You could tell stories like Velvet or like Salt with Angelina Jolie, which is supposed to be a male character, and just, you know, throw badass female spies into the mix. And like, I'd much rather have had a. Yeah, like a female-led Jason Bourne, uh, you know, series than I would have like a James Bond series, specifically because I think the fun of James Bond and the thing that Velvet also gets right is the time period of, you know, Britain and America mid-20th century, uh, like, you know, three or four decades in there. Like, lots is happening and there's Cold Wars and nazis and communism and all of these things that were the set the backdrop for james bond initially uh really play to his strengths and even now in a world where spying's nothing like that uh that's become like the romanticized thing which makes reading stories about them even more fun like i don't I haven't enjoyed the, the couple of times that you know Bond gets too close to you know like what drones and satellites actually do. Like as much as I hate Moonraker, at least they went for a fantastical idea of what it was going to be because like that ends up aging better than the idea of the internet that's in GoldenEye. So I think like <laughs> per- period pieces and stuff like that uh, is where was where Bond belongs, and I'm not going to question his skin color. Apparently, I'll question his gender, but only because I think it'll be a harder thing for more people to like figure out. But he's like you know number two in our triad of uh, you know British ultimate badasses with uh, Bond, Sherlock Holmes, and Harry Potter. Uh, you forgot. Doctor Who, <laughs> first of all. Sure, I did. <laughs> no, okay, so a couple things. Um, I think in an ideal world, we don't get a Bond spinoff. I agree with you. Um, so I was just more imagining, like, if they are going to expand this franchise, what I would like to see. Yeah. And it's not young James Bond, you know? <laughs> That's not what it is. It's not, let's get more adventures of James Bond. What I like about, what I like so much about. Skyfall Inspector are, I mean, I just think they have this amazing supporting cast and the problem with Bond or, or, or the virtue of Bond is that it's a one man show and you can have an amazing supporting cast, but it is on Daniel Craig's, you know, bulky shoulders the whole time. So I, I, I basically want Ben Wishaw, Naomi Harris, Ray Fiennes, and, um, oh, frick, I forget the name of the guy who plays Bill Tanner, who I love, who's on Penny Dreadful. Anyway, I want them to – Rory McCann. No, that's the hound. It's similar to that. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want them all to – Rory Kinnear. Okay. I want them all to have more screen time. And so I was like, oh, well, if you just spin the team off. Then they could have like – I mean I guess it's like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. except that's a bad example. So – but yes, in an ideal world, Velvet gets her own movie or her own TV series, uh, which is basically called Alias, but whatever, like gets her own thing. And But it, it's so hard to take an original property like that and give it the kind of backing it deserves when studios are so lazy and would rather just do a money penny spinoff, you know? So well, I, I mean, there's I been, know. there's been a good, uh, in terms of the Daniel Craig bonds, I think I 
give them more credit than I did when they said they were doing Casino Royale as a new origin story to Daniel Craig's perception of Bond as a cog, like a violent cog in a machine uh, where there isn't like, you know, you're on a physical presence more than you're with him emotionally most of the time. And I like, I think that's, that's great. I mean, what separates uh, Velvet from being pure Bond or what makes Velvet a specific type of spy story is her narration sort of twisting it through. So she's also like a woman of action and there isn't a lot of actual dialogue that's happening or exposition, but there's basically a constant running uh, monologue of that. So like if I, I would love to see Bond go back to a position where we're supposed to, you know, care about Bond. That's one of the things that I think Gold and I did really well is it's like, if you're going to modernize Bond, make sure that you make this story personal for him in some way. So they added 006 in as the villain, which is like, pretty much what they figured out on Skyfall is that the villain, the closer he is to Bond, uh, the more threatening he's capable of being. They missed that inspector because they paid attention oh, they to the words of the so rule and not hard, the, the soul inspector. of the rule. They uh, failed. They failed. <laughs> but it's like... <laughs> Uh, the Daniel Craig Bonds are uh, exercised in being outside of Bond and watching things, trying to get inside of Bond. Whereas I feel like a velvet take on it uh, would be refreshing in where we get to spend some time with this new emotional uh, thing of Bond. The other thing is I would take is a period piece uh, and just abandon the idea that Bond needs to in any way comment on the modern world and just let him sort of be a relic which I think is another thing that Velvet gets incredibly right along yeah. with a really good use of color to uh, differentiate place and time yeah there's a lot of flashbacks yeah because especially towards the end of the first volume um, some stuff happens uh, with another spy that I was confused about until because I was reading it in guided view and then I popped out and started looking at the whole page. I'm like, oh, the coloring composition is supposed to be helping me here as to what's happening when and what time period I'm in on what page. So super, super cool use of that. Uh, I just would rather get, I don't know. You, you're saying you'd like, you like the characters bouncing around Bond. I'm saying if that's true and I agree with it, then I think you should elevate the character more. Make it about him somewhat personally. But, you know, succeed this time, Spectre. <laughs> the um yeah you brought up some great stuff that i want to talk about in terms of velvet um i don't know why it works for me in velvet and didn't work for me in the black widow comic that i tried to read but black Wid- the black widow comic basically has the exact same thing where it's her it's natasha's uh running commentary uh internal monologue talking about you know basically doing the the bird notice when you're a spy and blah blah blah, blah like this thing and that thing and um that annoyed me in Black Widow for some reason, and and I liked it in Velvet. I find Velvet really engrossing, but I picked up the first issue a while ago and read it. And then when I decided we were going to do this, you know, I picked up the two trades, and um, or you know, got them digitally off of Image dot com, and um, and read them pretty much straight through. And but I had to reread the first issue because it's such a intensely serialized saga that um i couldn't remember i don't know maybe that's just my swiss cheese brain or whatever but i couldn't remember sort of the twists and turns and just had to start from scratch um and i feel like that's what's going to happen when the third trade comes out i'm gonna have to read the whole thing over again because 
probably quite intentionally, there are a lot of like white dudes with very <laughs> interchange, you know, it's like they're all these spies, these like, you know, throwback era Don Draper, John James Bond esque spies with their names are like Jefferson, you know, like I don't they're do you know what I'm talking about? That they have these like interchangeably long, bland white guy names? Yes, there are all the spies are sort of uh yeah, bland white people. Yeah, and they're supposed to be kind of like clones of each other. That's the point that like she doesn't fit to the company mold, right? Mm. See, I had the opposite thing while yeah. reading it, where I'm like, for me, all the faces are just distinct enough that I'm worried that I'm going to get to the end and realize there have been the like the culprits been in in the background of panels the entire time because for mm-hmm. me the art style is very distinctive and they're making too much of a show by the way she spots people graphically they do it with a big white circle around the face and then like a name or a descriptor or something almost like you're using a heads up interface and yeah. I'm like usually if you're drawing that much attention to somebody but the art is capable of supporting different structures of faces that there's a reason like my eyes being drawn away but if the art's not working for you and it's sort of seeming all like flattened out, maybe they're just uh, not as confident in their art as I am. No, I mean Steve Epting. I, I like pencils. I like the art. I just um I don't know. I, I I just I think well, here's all I'll say. I think it's a story that that is the most rewarding. There are certain shows like this that are the most rewarding when you binge watch. I think Velvet is the most rewarding when you read it just straight through. You know. So let a few i mean it's good that there are two trades out right now but i'm just saying i don't think this is a comic book i could read issue to issue i guess is the point Mm. the better point i'm trying to make there um yeah and so then i also picked up the warren ellis verger verger and um you know he gave a couple interviews where he talked about wanting to bring james bond back to like you know gritty original bond um, I don't know. I never guess I never thought about Bond as gritty, but I think the, uh, this comic book wants to have more in common with the novels than with the films. Um, Racism. It's, <laughs> it's very stylish. It's beautiful. Um, you know, there's a great panel of Bond pointing his gun Uh-oh. at the. Your tone of what? voice is leading somewhere. Sad. No, no, no. Oh, Just to, okay. He has his gun pointing at the reader saying, you know, and I'm 007, like the, you know, a James, a classic James Bond pose. Um, I know it's a first issue. I mean, it's hard. And Bond is not even really my thing. Like I've seen all the Brosnan and all the, yeah, all the Brosnan and all the Craig Bonds and that's it. I've not seen any of the old Bonds. I've not read any of the novels. So this is not like Bond is not... like a vaulted cultural figure for me as it is for so many people. Um, So I picked this up as sort of a a curiosity in terms of I'm interested in how you tell a spy story. How do you tell, how do you tell a story about a a character who is so often on their own, as you say, like bond bed hops. That's how you tell bond story. But Jason Bourne, like Jason Bourne had a companion in the first film, but there's, I think it's the second film where he's just largely by himself for most of the film. Um, so it's, it's interesting, you know, and, and so you can tackle that with, with voiceover, which is what Velvet and Black Widow do. Um, 
you know, there are various ways to do this, but the spy is a hard character uh, to, to track in a visual medium, you know, a solitary figure. Unless it is verse another spy. <laughs> um, as I was telling Dave before the podcast started, uh, we meet, we see Monty, the Bond doesn't look anything like Daniel Craig. He looks a little Brosnan-y, a little Sean Connery-y, but, but he doesn't look anything um, like Craig. Um, the Monty Penny uh, is African-American. The M is also African-American or uh, British, black British people, not African-Americans. Um, but, you know, so, so, you know, it's establishing its own, its own universe, its own thing. I don't know. It's interesting. Good. It's interesting. I mean, that sounds like what I want. What time period is it set in? Um, it's hard to tell. He hasn't like tendered anybody yet. No, it doesn't look like now, but it doesn't look so old. Looks like maybe the eighties. Interesting. I could be wrong. I'm I'm going mostly off of the desk phone. Well, the MI6 headquarters. I don't know when the Vauxhall cross. No, maybe the nineties, or maybe it's now. I don't know. Yes, no tendering yet, but people are wearing hoodies. So, mm. Mm, like like. There are hoodies like the way Londoners use hoodies or people are just wearing hoodies like as a fashion thing. No, like a rando bad guy who Bond chases down is wearing a hoodie and has a skull spider tattoo on his head. What do the cars look like? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Okay. I was going off desk phone, but that's not very helpful. Let's see. You have the right idea. (laughs) Start with a noun. (laughs) Um... I'm sure this information is like readily available somewhere. No, this is more fun. <laughs> um, okay. There's got to be a car, right? I mean, that w- if there's not a car in the first issue, there will eventually be a car. Ba-da-ba- oh, huh. No, that's not helpful. It's like a 1940s truck. How confusing. Um, Watch like the the whole point of the entire arc is what time is it? I think it's probably nowish. Okay, okay. So it has most of the things I want in a Bond thing. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll read it. The price of gas is two seventy nine. <laughs> okay, but pound. Oh no, it's in Helsinki. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> the price of right. gas in Helsinki. This is $2.79. Somebody asked Siri. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm sure that there are listeners being like, you idiot, it's set in X. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's the new Bond comic. Spies. Interesting. Velvet. I mean, I, I think Velvet would make a great a great um, film. I really love that character. Like, especially, like, the fact that she's older but not, like, I don't know. It's all it's all just really great. Really, really great. Um, she's, she's got a little bit of Batman in her. Yeah, she does. Which is nice, because that's the mode of Batman that I like. Detective Batman. Detective Batman. <laughs> she kind of has a bat suit. It's true. Um, all right. Is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of Spectre, Bond, Varger, Velvet? <laughs> Uh, I like the explanation for James Bond that exists in Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen timeline. 
which uh, is in the century books which was that uh he was an asshole in like the cold war that like did one good thing and then they made him a public figure and uh he's quietly dying somewhere of like 50 different disease uh, sexually transmitted diseases gross um <laughs> i think it's the chlamydia that will get him in the end probably well he's uh, a he's a descendant of uh like the f- first m yes the first <laughs> m who uh, also worked with like sherlock holmes and the like so I guess then we come back to David Healy's question, um, which is uh, to Dave Healy's question, which is, is Bond a superhero? And, you know, what I will say is that I think you could call Born Bond and like um, the Fast and Furious um, characters. Um they're all they all definitely are basically superheroes like they've got that bulletproof tendency i mean especially the fast and furious people who just like you know fall off buildings and are fine um r.i.p paul walker but um latter-day john mcclain movies yeah yeah sure sure john mcclain could fall into that category i mean i guess you know this is this is you know action hero i guess but but um, they push the bounds of, of believability and, and, you know, Bond, especially with all his, of his iconography, you know, like with Fast and Furious, it's like Corona's and I don't know, like a certain kind of car. I'm sure I don't pay attention, but Bond is so much iconography around him that, you know, like the other characters that you mentioned, Sherlock Holmes, Harry Potter, I'll add Dr. Who, you know, and Dr. Who is basically kind of a superhero. Like that's part of it. It's not just the indestructibility. It's, it's all the, the trappings you say Bond is a series of tropes you know, a superhero story, garbage though it may be, is a consistent series of tropes. So, um, yeah, in, in that sense, it's, it's not that. Oh, interesting. I was going to say, yes, he is. But then listening to you talk, now I'm going (laughs) to say, no, he isn't. Oh no. Why? Because James Bond is not a superhero, a list of superhero tropes. James Bond is a list of James Bond tropes. Uh, he's more like, uh, the man with no name uh, than he is the uh, powerless person given power for some reason. So I'm going to say James Bond is cool, but he is, uh, he's more of a progenitor of what gave us superheroes in the first place, which are adventure serial heroes, your Flash Gordons and your... But I don't understand because like Zorro, I can see the link between Zorro and Bond. But then Zorro feeds into Batman. So how is Bond not feed into Batman? Uh, no secret identity. Matter of fact, you make sure you know exactly what it, who his name is, even though he's a spy. But he's supposed to have a secret identity, isn't he? No, he's just a spy. Aren't spies supposed to have secret identities? I mean, he he's can... He's got a code name. Uh, but it's different. It's like he could and be... And you're not supposed to know who James Bond until, like, I could be completely wrong about this. But I feel like until Skyfall, we weren't supposed to know who James Bond was. Right? What do you mean? Mm, like his backstory. Is that completely wrong? It, it, that's... Um, no. But that's the point. That's what makes him not a superhero. He doesn't have an origin. He doesn't have a superhero power. James Bond is much more like, this week, James Foyles blank, which is a serial format, but it's, he's, not, he's not a superhero in the mm. sense that if we're talking about 
things being a series of tropes, I would say that James Bond is more like Indiana Jones than he is like uh, Hal Jordan. Okay. Um, I was on your side until you made a good argument for the other point. (laughs) Well, if you guys disagree or agree with one or the other of us, you should email us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com whether or not James Bond is a superhero. Um, I don't know. Like... Q is his Alfred, and I don't know. I M is his Commissioner Gordon. I see. I see some. I see plenty of Batman in, in Bond. I have to say. Uh, all right, and the last thing we're going to talk about has to do with an upcoming Marvel film, Doctor Strange. Dave has some more information he can share with us. Uh, he's been slowly sort of spooling it out, but he knows. And uh, so if you don't want to hear that, you can leave us now and we'll see you next week. But if not, stick around for after the spoiler warning. Dave, what do you have to tell us about Doctor Strange? I think I know what Infinity Stone is going to show up in Doctor Strange. And I think it is going to be... What Infinity Stone is that? I think it's going to be the Time Stone, Joanna. And why do you think that? Well, I used to think it would be the Soul Stone because it seems like Doctor Strange would deal with magic. And, you know, magic would be a good place to introduce the concept of a soul because the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been increasingly science-based. Even when they go to Asgard, they even explain things as, like, basically just molecular something or others. Uh, but I think Doctor Strange is actually going to uh, upset its MacGuffin uh, throughout throughout time, and that's going to allow it to start in like the late '60s and then flash forward to tell the story of Doctor Strange, and then eventually, once he gains the like Sorcerer Supreme powers, uh, he's going to somehow connect uh, the time gem to uh, what like uh, quantum theory. Wow. I think it's I think it's subato- subatomic part- particles and the, the the time gem. See, this is I mean, this is exactly what you want from a comic book movie, and I'm just worried it's not what I want from a comic book movie. Well. <sighs> I mean, um, uh, I guess the idea that I'm talking about is like saying Guardians of the Galaxy is about the orb um, being the power gem, which isn't an accurate description of the plot. I just think that that's what the the or every every um, gem that's shown up has uh, served as a MacGuffin that uh, requires. Or that uh, you allows one of the plot points to move forward in a new and exciting way, whether it be you know Loki being able to control people's mind or the vision being created by a gem like in his head. The powers are kind of uh, MacGuffin-y in the sense that they're based on the plot. So I'm saying that this yeah, has but the time you just, gem. Like, you just had like so much explanation to do around the time gem. It's not just like a glowy thing in you know Loki's scepter that does a thing or. You know, a glow, like I think just keeping it as glowy orb that does the thing is fine. But when you get into like, oh, you know, it's uh, I don't know, it's particles or whatever. Then I mean, I don't mean to sound like a stupid person. I don't mean to sound like a person who's like, I just want to go to my my comic book movies and watch the guys fly around. But like, uh, I don't know when you get when you get into the minutia of 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 gadgets and things. And I think this is a lot of my problem with Ultron. 
then you tend to lose me personally. You're not going to lose everyone. You're not going to lose Dave, but right. you might lose me. Well, I think the hope, or the, my hope at least, is that this grows organically out of the center of the conflict of Doctor Strange, which is that here's a man that is the best at science who suddenly realizes that that's not like that's not where the border of what's capable or what he's capable of doing is. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to push that border forward and forward. And maybe time is where it, it stops or is supposed to stop or someone's going to hold him there. But I think otherwise uh, magic's going to be born out of how Benedict Cumberbatch talks about science. So basically like the way uh, he spouts all his Sherlock exposition like that's that's how you're going to hear about subatomic parts. So you're going to be text on the screen and a jaunty score. Not not like that. I'm talking about the performance wise. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. Cumberbatch can sell you on this exposition <laughs> in a way that maybe you know Chris Hemsworth was unable to. <laughs> that's true. I trust Cumberbatch more than I trust the Hemsworth. Um, I did want to say though that you know my my impression of a of a hick a comic book viewer aside like. I worry that more and more people are going to sound like Bradley Cooper trying to describe who Thanos is, um, which is, you know, that big guy in the floaty chair. Um, And I'm worried that that's where this uh, whole thing is headed. Whereas, you know, Iron Man always seemed kind of anchored. The original Iron Man like seemed kind of anchored in a human story, Um, you know, and, and, and Steve's, stories definitely feels anchored in that human story and i just worry that we're going to move further away from that but but you know it could be that i you know they stephen strange is is as much of a compelling human story as as any we've seen so far well i mean yeah you got a whole bunch of doctors running up against uh you know a whole bunch of crazy people wielding things they don't understand but I, I I think this movie is going to stay. So you've seen like crazy concept art. You've seen more more than I have. I would say that like the weirder stuff that you saw is not going to be in the first half of the movie. So I think we're going to spend a good amount of time like Batman Begins ish with with bearded beard, bearded buddy Cumberbatch. You know, and I bet uh, we're going to see. Um... I mean, I don't know. I wish you had been there <laughs> to see. Like, it's frustrating for me to have these images in my head and not have like your, you know, eyeballs on them to interpret them properly for me. But um, I wonder how much of it we're going to see in like I don't know a training montage or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, some of the quite weirder things could be him exploring the bounds of his power and not necessarily like you know, and in this scene, he's standing on a planet. And in this scene, there's like 50 of him. And then this, scene, you know, it's like, it's more like him testing the bounds, but not living in those extreme scenarios, you know, or I could be wrong. I don't know. Hmm. I will continue talking to you after this podcast has ended. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, that is it for us. Uh, once again, please do email us at uh, thoughtbubble at gmail.com. Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me at geek.com, latino-review.com, and on Twitter at DA7E. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me on vanityfair.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. 
Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon. Bye. Yeah. Jump in the-